I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Michael Hamilton, CISO of security firm Critical Insight and former CISO of the City of Seattle. Michael will be discussing some recent trends involving health data breaches. So Mike, Critical Insight recently released a report analyzing health data breach trends in 2021 as reported to the Department of Health and Human Services. The number of breaches last year set a record high, but I understand that you're seeing some potentially promising trends when compared to 2020. What are you seeing? You're right. There is some potentially promising trends, and we have some hypotheses as to why that may be. So yes, breaches and records hit an all-time high. In fact, since 2018, they're up 84%. And the total number of individuals affected through those record breaches are are up 300% since that time. Uh, But the rate that the breaches occur is declining. So it's since 2020, it's only up about two and a half percent. As again, you know, we're trying to dive into that number and try and figure out if that's real signal, if that's late reporting, what that could be. And we do have some hypotheses on that. And what are your hypotheses? Well, first of all, again, it, it could be a lag in reporting when it looks like the uh, the rate of increase is slowing down. Um, it could be because there have been organizations that have been compromised and don't know it yet, right? They Actors have gained persistence on there and they haven't pulled the trigger yet. So it's a real 2021 security event, but unknown and they're unable to report it at this point. So that's one hypothesis, but we think that there are some hidden signals in this as well. When we look at the distribution as to who is being compromised here, So uh, it turns out that attacks on providers are actually down, uh, but business associates are up about 18% and health plan providers are up about 35%. So that's kind of interesting. And again, outpatient clinics are ticking up. So to me, that is, you know, these perpetrators are going down market. The records disclosure may be up as well because ransomware is now considered terrorism. And if I'm one of these criminal gangs, I don't want to be labeled as a terrorist. So, you know, I'm going to go after records and going after records, I'm going to go in the easiest unlocked door I can find. So uh, health plan providers, business associates, outpatient clinics. Um, And then again, on the outpatient clinics, they've ticked way up and we believe, we hypothesize that because they rely on elective procedures, which were impacted because of COVID, they lost revenue and they had to cut some IT and or security. Uh, This happened with at least one of our customers. We've heard from IT directors at healthcare organizations that with lost revenue from canceled elective surgeries and the increased cost during the pandemic, their budgets were impacted and IT and security are typically on the chopping block. It's also, and I, I, there's a lot of disagreements in the, uh, the group of people that are uh, trying to analyze this, but the market may uh, played out as well. You know, breaches, ransomware have hit a lot of hospitals. They've improved their posture after these events and are more resistant, one would think, to another incident. And so the actors are out there looking for softer targets. 
So Mike, hacking incidents are the dominant type of health data breach being reported. That's a trend that's been playing out for the last few years. Any insights into the types of hacking incidents aside from ransomware attacks that dominated last year, or are most of these major hacking incidents, are they ransomware? Well, again, you know, we're not comparing to ransomware now. And I, and I think it would be interesting to look at the ratio of records disclosure versus ransomware incidents, because I believe that that would be uh, indicative of what, as I say, uh, these actors getting away from ransomware, you know, disrupting the operation of a hospital in order to extort has potential impact of loss of life. Stealing records to extort, no such thing. So I'm a criminal instead of a terrorist, and I think that's a safer place for them. But when we talk about hacking incidents still being the most common cause, you know, they've risen almost 10% 2020 to 2021. But when we say hacking incidents, that's very unspecific, right? So a hacking incident can be, uh, I've exploited a vulnerability on your, you know, internet facing uh, technology. Usually though, and this is the statistic, 75%, over 75% of these cyber attacks are caused by human failures, while less than 25% are because of technology issues. That and over 90% of these begin with a phishing email. And that's, you know, cyber attacks writ large, not necessarily just directed at the health sector, but I think those numbers hold. So what that tells us is hacking is fooling people into doing dumb things. And that continues apace. So I don't think I would blame technology or poor vulnerability management or anything like that. I think this still is a case of gullibility has consequences. So Mike, when it comes to business associates, you do see far more records per breach that are impacted versus covered entities for the most part often. Is that because business associates have so many covered entity clients whose data might be impacted by a single incident? And are these sort of higher priorities in terms of the criminals out there trying to squeeze out as much as they can from a victim with the thought of, okay, if it's a vendor, they have to be worried about what all these clients are going to think about their security. So therefore, that's a great target. Yeah, that's that's a great question. So as you say, there are more records per breach in business associates. So they account for 13% of the breaches, but 25% of the records. And our hypothesis is that they're easier to steal from, right? So a business associate, while they have to sign a business associate agreement and technically promise that they are consistent with the standards in the HIPAA security rule, for example, you know, those are aspirational attestations they're making. And in general, business associates, because they're not really held to the standard that a covered entity is, we think they're just easier to get at. So, Mike, with that said, what's your advice to covered entities for better protecting their patients and even their employees' information against potential business associate security incidents? Well, for business associates, you know, you're going to have to have really solid business associate agreements with some indemnification in there. You're really going to have to hold your business partner's feet to the fire. But in terms of covered entities, if this is accurate, Okay, that 90% of these begin with a phishing email and 75% caused by human failure, okay, less than 25% because of technology miscues. What that tells you is stop letting people have access to all these messaging vectors 
that bring in all the bait. Just stop it. All personal use on a personal device, if you don't need external email while you're working at a hospital or another covered entity, you don't get it. Gmail lives on your phone. Facebook lives on your phone. And seal off that whole introduction vector. So, Mike, when it comes to the security at these various health sector organizations and their vendors, you mentioned the messaging, don't have the messaging capabilities on various devices. Are there other soft spots? What are some of the controls that need to be tightened or bolstered at these organizations, do you think? You know, the controls are well known. The controls are required by HIPAA. And increasingly, controls are all required by insurance companies. In fact, insurance companies have become the de facto regulators for everyone. So if, you know, a lot of this starts with somebody giving up a password, well, if you're using pervasive multi-factor authentication, that's just not going to work. I would say, too, that a real limitation in a lot of the covered entities that we work with is watching your network, monitoring, and being prepared to detect and respond and recover as quickly as possible. It is a foreseeable event that there will be some kind of cyber incident, some kind of, somebody's going to get malware on something for sure. That doesn't have to end up in records theft, ransomware, or just disruption of your operation for the sake of disruption. If you see the signal of something on your network that evaded your preventive controls, you're able to put that little fire out before it burns the house down. And so I would say those two things, pervasive use of multi-factor authentication and 24-7 monitoring and the ability to get in front of these events before they get out of control. In terms of those so-called little fires, what sort of little fires are organizations missing that then lead to these major incidents? Someone pulls malware. Somebody clicks on something. Somebody gives up a password. So the signal, if I gave up a password, would be somebody logging into one of our user accounts from a source that we've never seen before. Easy to tease out of logs. If malware is introduced into your environment, is on a computer, it's got to talk to its command and control. So the signal of, hey, why is your computer talking to Uzbekistan should set off an alarm and let somebody investigate that. So, Mike, looking ahead to this year and the emerging or new difficulties that healthcare sector entities and their vendors will face, what are your predictions? Well, hopefully there is some funding options in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that are going to apply to the health sector. I know that there is money in there for state and local governments, and there are certain kinds of funding in there for hospitals. I don't know how much can be applied to cybersecurity controls. So I would hope that. But as we move forward with more and more telehealth and it just increasing the technology footprint, more use of patient monitoring using connected devices, well, all that is going to have to be very carefully evaluated for security prior to being deployed. And my hope is that some of the movements that the federal government is making on supply chain security are really directed at the health sector and this explosion in technology that it's going through right now, because there are few things as critical as the health sector. And, you know, I think as much focus as we could put there on security is going to pay dividends in the long run. Thanks, Mike. I've been speaking to Michael Hamilton. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.